Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. And we have a special treat for you today, a bonus episode about everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it has just wrapped up an incredible run at the box office. It is now A24's highest grossing film of all time, both domestically and internationally. It beat out films such as Moonlight and Uncut Gems and Hereditary, uh, and it has just hit video on demand. Now, I've obviously interviewed the Daniels already on this podcast. I've reviewed the film on the Filmcast podcast but I wanted to go back to the well one more time and do one final deep dive because I felt like I had a lot more to say, a lot more thoughts I wanted to get out there. And so this conversation is the result of that. I had a chance to chat with Walter Chaw over at Film Freak Central. We shared incredibly personal thoughts about what this film means to us. And that's what you're going to hear over the course of the next hour. So if you're looking for a deep dive on everything, everywhere, all at once from two Chinese immigrants, that's what you're about to get. I want to give a big shout out to all the folks at patreon.com slash Dave Chen who make this podcast possible. If you want to support my work and this podcast, patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Or you can just follow the podcast on Twitter at CREVSHOW, C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W, another great way to support the show. Big thanks to Walter for joining me for this conversation. Uh, be sure to check out his review of the film over at Film Freak Central. I'll link to his stuff in the show notes. And finally, two other notes. There will be discussion of suicide and family trauma, so be warned about that. Uh, this conversation will obviously spoil everything about everything everywhere all at once, so watch the movie before you listen to this conversation is what my recommendation would be. And finally, Walter has pets, and you're going to hear the pets in the background. So sorry about that. But uh, I think you will still find the insights to be very audible and understandable. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with Walter Chaw about everything, everywhere, all at once. Devlin, I'm not your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. A whole time to help you. Across the multiverse. In thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of the memories, their emotions, even the skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. I want to just start by asking you. Why does this movie mean so much to you? Well, you know, we spend so much time complaining. I do. I, I want to pull you into it. But <laughs> I feel like I spent a lot of time complaining about the lack of representation in films that are made in the United States uh, for Asian Americans. And, you know, I, I, I would be remiss not to shout from the rooftops when we finally have a piece of um, um, art of culture that is, seem, feels uniquely Hours, you know, and even as I say that, I know how important this film is for uh, other people who are not Asian American. You know, I read a really interesting piece about how uh, someone had read this as, as a movie about menopause and the chaos of menopause, and um, and, and and so so you know, it's it, it's that old old maxim, right? That the more um, uh, unique you make something, the more uh, universal it becomes somehow the more specific it is, the more general it becomes. Yeah. And I think that this is a case of that where, you know, you and I have talked before where it's like, we both left it feeling like that was great, but it speaks only to me. 
it's too bad that no one else will like this film. Yeah, I think um, you and I both had the that. same yeah. experience. We, we left it. We're like, well, I know I really enjoyed it. I have no idea if anyone else is going to enjoy it, but it really spoke to me. Uh, Absolutely. I think I think many people have read so many different things, including the creators of the film themselves. You know, I think when they made the film in interviews, uh, I've talked to them and uh, they've given interviews elsewhere. They made it uh, in response to fracturing attention spans in the internet age. Like that was kind of one of their primary motivators and inspirations, but people are reading it as a metaphor for whatever is true for them. Uh, it's a metaphor for menopause. It's a metaphor for parenting. It's a metaphor mm-hmm. for the immigrant experience and so on. And there is something really special about how this movie has managed to capture the imaginations of people going through any challenges of any kind. I, I, I read this kind of like angry piece about this film saying that, you know, the, the person writing it saying that they recommended this movie uh, because it would make them feel good or it would make or it would be interesting to them. I think was what it was. And, and they were offended at the idea of film as therapy, you, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to sort of soothe intergenerational trauma uh, 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 you know that 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 we we may be attaching to it, but for for, for me, and I want to be clear that I don't think film is a substitute for therapy. But I do think that the way that we look at art and extant objects, um, if if we can apply that to our emotions and how we respond to those things, it's like a Rorschach test. Uh, that that you you know three hundred people look at a Rorschach test and they see different things. You know you 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 know you might see a bat. I might see my mom not not loving me. So there's <laughs> there's uh, uh, there's that thing that art that's good can do in that it becomes almost a blank screen, a mind screen. You know to to uh, steal a term from Bruce Cowan, that where you pr- project. Uh, your emotions and your feelings and, and, and your, your uh, desires uh, um, and, and your fears onto an extant object. Because the, the film, you know, for as brilliant as, as it is, is extant. It is an object it, and, and you, it can be projected on the screen. It's, it's the same thing projected over and over and over again, thousands of times, but every single person that sees it, sees a different film because of their relationship to the world and their experiences and all those things. And that's true of every movie. It's true of every movie, but with a movie like this, it's so, uh, it's so brilliant because it, it, it provokes these really uh, uh, deep introspective sessions, I think from, from individual members of the audience, or it can p- p- potentially do that. I think there are a lot of films that, you know, you see a different film than the next guy or whatever, but we, we, we all kind of see a bad movie. You know, the details may be different, but the movie doesn't really say that much to us. But we watch a movie like this and it's like the details matter a lot. You know, if does this speak to you, Dave, about your relationship with your mom? Does it speak to me about my dad? Does it speak to, you know, the the broad diaspora of experiences? You know, speaking with a friend who is um, has a dad who's Dominican and he says, you know, our issues in our family are completely different. We don't have problems talking to each other. You know, it's not about secrets. It's about oversharing. It's about over-interest. Mm-hmm. And this movie does that. It gets it. It gets the mm-hmm. frustration. It gets, it's like, it does? <laughs> that's amazing. You know, and, and or, or, you know, the the menopause piece or even the piece that's, pieces that are critical of it. I, you know, for me, they're all windows into these individuals and their experiences and their biases and the things that they have to work through or not or things that they have worked through or haven't. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's one of those rare films, right? Where you look at it and it's broadly appealing. You can you can just watch it as entertainment if you want to. You, know, you never have to think beyond whatever it is. But it's also clearly 
attaching itself at, you know, at a, in a very personal way to people's shared experiences. And it's, you know, it's a movie that, that has successfully made me feel less lonesome, has made me feel a little less angry at my parents, has helped me understand their story better than I have ever understood it before. I never, when I think of my parents, I never thought of them as being in love as courting one another, as taking a big chance. And, you know, I never thought of that. I, I thought about the other stuff, the working yourself to death and the, you know, weird expectations of your kids and the, you know, resentment of the new culture and all, all that stuff that's common, you know, with, with a, a lot of people that, that were born here and their parents who weren't. Um, but through this movie, I kind of understand their story as a love story. I, just, I understand it in a completely different way, in a humanizing way. And I mm-hmm. think that's uh, remarkable. Yeah. yeah, it's remarkable. I, uh, uh, you know, just speaking for me, I love the movie. Obviously, it's possibly my favorite movie of all time. I think <laughs> uh, there's a couple things about it that I really. It, it has basically every single thing that I love about movies <laughs> in in one movie, right? Yep. Uh, for one thing, I'm really have always been fascinated by time travel and multiverses and uh, alternate realities, these kinds of things, and Obviously, that's a huge part of this movie. Uh, it's a immigrant story, uh, and specifically a story about Asian American immigrants. And you were talking about representation earlier and how it's challenging. We have okay representation now, Asian Americans in general, but what is more challenging these days is good representation. I watched Top Gun Maverick recently, and there's a shot. There, the way it plays out on screen is there's a shot of like these Asian people that show up to like the flight academy, and it's like, oh, Harvard and Yale are here. Now I know like one of the guys is actually white, but like Harvard, one, one of the guys Harvard or Yale is actually white, but like, uh, I don't think any Asian characters get more than like two lines in the entire movie, right? And so it's like, okay, that's technically representation, but you know. I wouldn't say it's great representation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I was kind of shocked when you said that there were Asian people in that movie. I had no recollection <laughs> of that. It just kind of like completely missed me. That's just you one know? example. I don't mean to pick on Top Gun Maverick, which is a movie <laughs> I love. I'm just saying I love that, that movie. Yeah. it's it's hard to get representation at all, um, but even harder is to get good representation. And I think what this movie does, I think what Everything Everywhere All at Once does is it takes a fairly common trope at this point which is like the immigrant story like people have seen the immigrant story play out in many movies throughout the years at this point um and it extends the ideas into something science fiction fantastical um that has epic scope Uh, and that's what i really appreciate about it it's not just hey this is another immigrant story it's like what if the immigrant story was merely the surface level of a much deeper exploration of some of the themes that come with an immigrant story. Um, yeah. And it so, feels like our yeah. Godfather in a lot of ways, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, which is another great immigrant story. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I mean, I think it opens the first line of the Godfather is I, I, I believe in America, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, we've never really had that, you know, and to your point about representation, I think so much of it is bordering on tokenism where it, it's just, you know, you're just, we're just going to toss, we're going to fill all of the periphery with every checklist item that, that we can pack in there. And, and that th- the danger of that is that we be, we, we would name a character at Harvard or after an Ivy league, you know, yeah. school, you know, just, just like, you know, it's like, a, I, 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 I think of peanuts, you know, Charlie Brown and there's the, the one African American kid 
you know, who doesn't speak and, and communicates through high fives. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's actually a character. I don't know that that's actually representation. We're kind of now switching terms now to like tokenism. You kind of threw it in there because you know that you should. I'm not saying that about Charles Schultz. I mean, 1960, whatever. But, you know, with Top Gun, perhaps. And again, yeah, we both love that movie, whatever. But the, I think we see that a lot, even in movies that are explicitly about, you know, throwing us a bone you know kind of like shang mm-hmm. shang chi or mm-hmm. or the english speaking mulan it's like this is not actually good for us that you keep <laughs> doing this shit you can't you can't you can't say mm-hmm. oh he's just a slacker but he does know six languages and kung fu his dad's also a serpent god and he has this you know, was like wait Wait, 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 wait. You, you seem to have actually a lot of contempt for Asian Americans when you do something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line. And, and, you know, here's Everything Everywhere, which has characters that are not special. I mean, she's explicitly not special. She, you know, and, and I, I would argue with that. There's nuances, obviously. But, you know, the thing that we're centering on her because she runs a laundromat. We're centering on her because she she's going to the IRS, you know. And I've heard some complaints from white viewers that you know, oh, IRS. I don't like that. They're 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 the villains here. And like, well, first, stop being such a bootleg. Next, I would say that um, you know, the IRS actually does target immigrant businesses because so many of them work under the table, you know, or they they mm-hmm. they, they don't declare everything. And so, yeah, my parents, they they, they were business owners. Audited yeah, my, par- my parents times, are business you know? owners too, and it was, you know, uh, we were law-abiding citizens, so it wasn't like we had terrible interactions with the IRS, but th- it wasn't fun. <laughs> you know, it's not like a highlight of their day to go see the IRS. But going back to your point about this being an uh, immigrant story, you know, where it really hit home for me is in one of those first scenes when... Uh, Michelle Yeoh's character first gets on the elevator, and Kihui Kwan's character, uh, da- you know, gives her the Bluetooth headsets and downloads the entire thing. And then, you know, she sees her entire existence play out before her eyes. And it's shot very beautifully. It looks like it's, you know, I, it, it almost is like a kind of old school film effect. You know, it almost looks like 16 millimeter or whatever. I, I'm sure it was actually shot on digital, but. Um, and you see her entire existence and the decision to come to the United States and uh, and the kind of dreams that these people had and how those dreams didn't quite end up working out as they'd hoped. And when I watched that scene for the first time, I felt like I was watching. Uh, it, it it hit me so hard emotionally because I felt like I was watching my parents' life compressed into thirty seconds. You know, and uh, obviously the details are very different. These characters had a laundromat. My parents owned a Chinese restaurant um, and the Chinese restaurant was like relatively successful. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like it was a failure or falling apart or anything like that. Like by the end of our time doing it, they, they were the restaurant was in a good state. But just the whole thing was kind of like you, you get a sense of how many leaps these people had to take. Right. Leaps, a leap to be with each other, a leap to come to a foreign country. Um, a leap to start a business, a leap to start a family, like all these massive life changes and going out on a limb and leap of faith kind of things that you just don't normally contemplate when you're going about your day-to-day business. But when you're watching a movie like this and you see a montage edited together in like 30 seconds that like 
seems to compress all that time, you know, uh, it's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah, I mean, so. it, it, it made me feel um, shame about my solipsism, you know, for, for most of my life as a as the child, even though I, I'm quite elderly now. But there's um, the, the, the sense that I never really fully appreciated what my parents did to get us here. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't fully ever appreciate um, the how scary imagine how scary it would be if you picked up right now and moved to a country where you didn't really speak the language to start your life there and that you knew that you were going to be there for the rest of your life and and you know what was going to happen with you and your family and you know the what really got me about that that sequence was the schism that you see between her and her her father yeah the michelle yo character Mm -hmm. and her father the james hong character um, and, and, you know, I had never considered the ties that they broke within their family by coming yeah. here, too. Yeah. You know, I, I have a huge extended family that I don't know at all in Taiwan and mainland China, like a yeah. lot of people. Same, same. And I, I don't I don't know them. I, I think I visited Taiwan when I was three. That's it. And I, I've never met them. And there's them. probably some of them that aren't happy. That your, I'm sure, you know, parents came to the United States, you know, and and we Absolutely. we just never knew about it, right? Absolutely, I, I know that my dad's younger brother was is or was the last time I saw him like decades ago a very staunchly Chinese nationalist, even though he was living in Taiwan, and it was his fervent belief that Taiwan would one day reunify with the Chinese mainland, that they're just Chinese people. And it's like, what must he have felt about my dad? coming to the United States. When, when I watched the farewell, the Lulu Wang uh, film from a couple of years ago, there's that character as well. That's sort of bragging about how good the Chinese universities are. And then, you know, talking about American educational. Those are all conversations that I've heard and, and, and have had it, but I've never considered it from the, the, the sense of loss, the sense of, you know, they're isolated out here. They're, they're maybe even pariahs for having moved. And, and, you mm-hmm. know, I did feel, because of this film, in a really good way, I think I felt shame about my lack of empathy for what my parents did do. You know, mm-hmm. I just wrapped up in my own pain. I'm just wrapped up in my, you know, I, right. I don't belong here. <laughs> People think I'm a monster. <laughs> and you know, I was wrapped up in that for my whole life, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, not only is that like hyperbolic, it's not true. You know, it quite, I've been quite accepted. But um, just the idea that I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was too selfish to think about it. And, you know, what a wonderful film, uh, what a wonderful gift to have pieces of you return to you that you didn't know that you were missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. here's this piece of your per- of, of your maturity and your wisdom and your empathy that has been missing. And you didn't know that you dropped it along the way, but you did. And you didn't understand the pain that your parents were in um, and, and the, the faith and courage and love that it took for them to come out here. Love was not even a word in our household. We don't use that word, you know? So, you know, yeah. for that to come back into my vocabulary, when I speak about my parents is it, it, it's, it's an immeasurable gift. Um, yeah. And in your review at film freak central for everything, everywhere, all at once, you talked about how the movie helped you understand their story as a love story instead of an immigrant story. Can you give me the contrast between those two things? Like how did you think of their story before how do you think of it now, and why did it change because of the movie? Well, because of the culture that you know we're, we're brought up in here, I, I saw them as I think the, this culture sees them: um, industrious, emotionally cold, 
uh, they've given their life over to a job. They 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 have uh, strict uh, cultural standards, and you know, th- my my parents were actually more bohemian than other parents. There's sort of like that line that really got me in everywhere, everything, everywhere as well, where she says, you know, just me being cool with you having a girlfriend is already quite progressive. It's already quite something. You know, my parents were kind of like that parent, mm-hmm, you know, that mm-hmm, compared yeah. to their Chinese friends, they were probably looked at upon as, you know, oh, they're, their kids are running wild. Um, but, but yeah, I, I saw them the way that I think this culture sees them as, you know, they open stores. They are very smart. My dad was very good at math and, um, I, I, it's it, it, it's the immigrant story that you you were laying out earlier, you know, right. you know, the, and, and you see them as kind of like two dimensional, basically, like kind of two dimensional beings, pretty much, a, exactly. a, a set of ideas exactly. or tendencies, as opposed to like uh, fully fleshed yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, I didn't credit them with the full panoply of emotions. <laughs> yes, you know, there there was well, just you, you know, know this, many this, many this, Asian parents it. make it easy to do that. <laughs> so, to Alas, be fair, it's so. it's so yeah. it's so, and, yeah. and not even just Asian parents, but I, I I wonder even if that sort of closed offness is partly a product of culture, but also partly a product of 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 trauma, of strain, of fear, and you know of what they had to go through. You know, I, I see a lot of. Um, of 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 Asian families that are very supportive. You know, I went to my daughter's mm-hmm. graduation from high school the, uh, a few a couple, few weeks ago, and you know, I, I saw Asian parents there, and I and I joked to my wife, I was like, "What are they doing here? Who's watching the store?" Because you know, I never my parents didn't come, you know, to my stuff. Right, right. I didn't even go to my high well, school it's graduation. Because, it's because this generation uh, had parents that didn't come to their stuff, and they're like, "We're not going to do that again next time." You know, exactly. Yeah, well, I- I- exactly, and 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 you know, the, whenever I joke like that, it's out of a sense of like jealousy, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, like this that sucks, man. I, I would have felt so much better about myself mm-hmm. if my parents just showed up at one of these recitals, they showed up at one of these things, or or made it seem like it was important. But but now I realize I, I see it differently for them, like that. You know, for for them, I really believe they were like, "Look, that's awesome. I wish we could be there, but I, I, we really have to uh, keep working here so that he can have everything that he needs." You, you know, and I'm like, "It's it, it, you know that that's kind of an old thing. I'm being kind of inarticulate about it too because it's getting too personal, maybe. But it's like it's this idea that we prioritize the wrong things in our lives sometimes. Like, like you know, all my wife wants is to be for me to be available to her, and here I am thinking I have to work 120 hours a week. I have to give her the things that she wants. You know, I have to do the right thing. I have to be a good husband, a good whatever. And I wonder how much of our parents, my parents, weren't wrapped up in the wrong thing, not mm-hmm. out of malice or coldness, but out of what they felt like they needed to do to survive here and stay here. Um, and I think it goes beyond just survival, but it's also just uh, something we've also experienced as immigrants, is my guess, is this notion of trying to impart upon your your parents, trying to impart upon you the values, tendencies, personas of the old world versus what you are learning in the new world. And I think that a great example of this is early on in everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, they've just had a challenging interaction. You know, the the daughter Joy is trying to introduce her girlfriend to uh, her grandfather, played by James Hong, legend. Everyone's a legend in this movie, uh, and uh, and her mom won't introduce her as her girlfriend. Um, she would just introduce her as her good friend. 
Uh, and Joy storms off and she's very upset. And then uh, her mom comes to the car and you know that the mom wants to say something conciliatory. The mother, like part of her intellectually is saying, I must say something to her that is kind and positive, but she just can't physically bring herself to do it because that's simply not how her family expressed anything, let alone love to each other. You, you have to try and eat healthier. That's extraordinarily powerful and kind too, isn't it? To, 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 to say like, you know, they feel these things, but they can't express them in a way that we understand them. When my wife first met my relatives when they flew in for, for, for our wedding, I was translating the whole time. And with a big grin on my face, I would say to her, she's telling me that I got real fat. She's telling me that I need to study better. Yeah, and you, we should point out your wife a, is is white, correct? And she so is exactly. She exactly, couldn't understand yeah. the language yet, but yeah. Well, and and when my dad died, I, the, there were people that were close to my mother who came up to me, you know, at the funeral or or at the hospital, and said, "This is your fault. <laughs> You're the reason that he died because <laughs> mm-hmm. you weren't a good enough son. You weren't around when he needed you." And, that's you know, hor- like, that's oh, horrible, by the way. Uh, I'm sorry that that. Yeah, happened. no, no, it's. But you seem to have uh, a good, it, you know. It, it wasn't great. Taking it in stride. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're laughing I mean, to keep from crying about it. Yeah, because at the at the end of the day, what choice do you have? But you know, you get so wrapped up in that drama and all the series of like hits, right? <laughs> you just take these hits, and you know the the big thing for me, and I, I and I think we talked about this on on um, the the uh, film cast was, you know, when I went to when I found out my dad was in the hospital, I went there, and my my mom was already there with a bunch of her buddies and she wouldn't talk to me she was pointed pointed to a door and i thought oh he's he's in there and i went in there and he's in a body bag and a and a and a orderly came in and unzipped him so that i could see him and i came back out of the room you know kind of blindsided and i tried to hug my mom and she pushed me away and went back to her buddies and so it's like watching this movie helped me forgive her for that in my mind anyway in my heart for that before she died and i'm like that's that's a burden I got to put down because this what? movie showed me something different. Why you know? do you think the movie helped you to do that? I'm just curious. Just because I think it, it gave depth to my mother that I never gave her before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it gave shape to her trauma, her sense of being um, left by me, uh, divorced by me, the way that I rejected, uh, you know, our, their culture. Um, it gave shape to that. It gave a human element to it. It made, what she was going through a tragedy instead of a tragedy that she was inflicting on me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and it humanized yeah. her in a lot of ways for, for me. Um, and at the same time, it also gave me the space to be not resolved in a traditional Western hallmark kind of way. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, I, I, you know, my dad lived for two years after a heart attack that, that eventually killed him through heart failure and all those things. And, we never had a moment of like, you know, we're, we're going to go fly fishing. And yeah. as the sun sets over the mountains and the right. golden light bounces off, you know, we never had that. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who mean well, who's like, you know, okay, well, you missed your chance, but you can do it with your mom. And I'm like, you don't know my mom. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. You know, the the very last night of her life, which was. Mother's Day, because that's her sense of humor. Um, I, I, I went to the to the hospice, 
to sort of sit vigil with her. And, you know, I was essentially kind of like informed that, you know, I don't think mom would have wanted anyone in the room with her. She would have been kind of irritated that you were here. So maybe not be here. <laughs> okay. You know, well, who informed you? Who informed fine. you? My, my sister, she's not mm-hmm. wrong though. Cause I mm-hmm. think my mom was kind of communicating. She wanted to be left alone. And she kind of said that, you know, in the uh, a couple of days before she died, she said, no more visitors. And my wife was like, do you think she means everybody, everybody, or just like friend visitors? Does she mean mm-hmm. the family? I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She means that just kind of leave, leave, leave her alone right now because she doesn't have any kind of emotional uh, uh, um, skills to process end of life conversations or apologies or, you know, here's my last moment of, you know, no five easy pieces where I have a long conversation mm-hmm. with my mute father on, on the beach or something there's, there's nothing that that's that's not the resolution that was in the cards for us because of the way that we communicate and this film allows for that even at the very end of it right where there's in the parking lot again right yes and, and yes you know i was about to bring that there up. isn't a big yeah there isn't a big hey i love you come here i accept you i think everything that you did in school was valuable you're pretty <laughs> smart mm-hmm. um you know, you're going to be super successful, and I, I think you make good decisions. There's nothing like that. It's like, yeah, you do drive me crazy. You should eat better. Um, you, 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 it breaks my heart that you don't want to be, uh, you know, working the laundromat. But that's okay. And and she says, her daughter says, yeah, yeah, that's okay. We're both screwed up. Yeah, that's who we are. And that's freeing. You know, that, that's well. Freeing. There's also the kind of epilogue that happens where they're back at the IRS. They're in the parking lot, and you see that Joy is with her girlfriend, and then she says, uh, the the mom, Evelyn, says to the girlfriend, I think it's Becky is her name. Becky, you need to grow your hair. I really appreciated that because it's basically her mom showing that she kind of accepts her. It's... I know for like a Westerner watching this, it might seem really messed up that that's the case, but it's like, that is how people like Evelyn communicate their love is by providing criticism, (laughs) providing unsolicited feedback. And in a way, and they kind of took it that way too. They kind of accepted it in that way in the moment. Becky and Joy accepted it in that way. And there is this um, aspect of, that you know the, the the relationship has progressed, even though outwardly Evelyn's just throwing dropping some more criticism bombs on them. You know, like inwardly they understand that, like, oh, this is her way of showing love, and uh, I appreciated that. So yeah, there, there there's balance to that sequence too, because earlier on, that something like that, very similar like that, happens in the chaos of the opening when they're kind of walking through the laundromat and everything, and and Becky's like, doesn't that mean that she cares though? doesn't it she's trying to get joy to to, but she doesn't accept that she's very injured by that right and then the very end they have kind of the same sequence happening again that that you've just described and to your point joy accepts it this time she hears it differently in this time and she gives her mom a break you know and and it's like you know i I was always of a mind that you know well they're the parents they should meet me more than halfway they should meet me right here in my wheelhouse They, they they should understand my heart um right but Gosh, that's so unrealistic and unfair, really. And mm-hmm. you know, every every relationship is a, is a negotiation and a compromise. You know, I I, w- I was like thinking about this the other day that your your kids actually teach you the parents that they need, and it's your choice 
whether or not you're going to meet them there, or you're just going to tell them to go screw, you, you, you know, but you do have to meet them somewhere. And as kids, they got to meet you somewhere. You know, I'll never stop making bad jokes with the kids. I'll never stop referring to, to my daughter as a little baby. You know, I can't stop it. I can't. I, I just, they're going to have to meet me somewhere, you know, in the mm-hmm. middle of there, even if that drives them crazy. And understand that when I do that, um, I'm telling them I love them, I, you know, in, in, in the best, most comfortable way that I can. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't learn to speak their language and everything and there's got to be a give and take but it did help me forgive as as an older person it did help me forgive my parents and their inability to communicate in a way that i wanted to hear and in a way that i saw the uh my friend's parents being communicated to and everything the film mm-hmm. does give me the outlet you know to say I'm, I'm a bigger person than this i'm not really a child anymore you know there's a moment that i can say i get it and you gave up a lot to be here and i'm grateful for that you know, I, I, you know, I respect what you did. It's interesting that the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once tells the story from the perspective of uh, Evelyn. Because most of the time when we've seen a story like this told, uh, it's from the perspective of the child, right? And it's very, uh, you know, I'm thinking of many other examples. Um, Turning Red, another movie that this movie has actually been compared to, right? And it's, it's from the perspective of a child. Um, and... I think it's just really an interesting decision to frame it from the perspective of the mom because it's very rare that we accept those types of people in our society in their fullness. Even you and me who have Asian immigrant parents as our parents have had difficulty accepting them in our full, in their fullness. Right. Um, and seeing all the challenges that they've been through and seeing like, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe they had dreams too, that like weren't quite fulfilled by this current set of circumstances. Right. Um, and we, you and me, you and I are a lot in our own feelings (laughs) about like what level of dreams we were able to achieve. Uh, and we didn't really think about, we haven't really thought that much about like, what what were our parents really striving for anyway? You know? And, uh, I think that's one thing that this movie, opens up the the aperture for is like allowing us to to get it to to kind of perceive this different perspective and um and empathize with it so yeah the the my my, my favorite line from lost in translation and i don't know it verbatim but he he you know he he tells the bill murray, murray character says talks about having kids and saying how terrified you are and then they come and then they're all of a sudden the most interesting people that you've ever met and that that's always like devastated me because I never had that experience with my parents. I don't know that my, my parents ever really knew who I was as an adult. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there, there's a problem I think with, I, I won't just say everyone feel, experiences this in, in our culture, but I certainly experienced it. There's a problem when you have sort of a closed off emotional relationship with your parents that you never have sort of like this reconnection that's vital. I think with your kids at a certain point where you kind of are reintroduced as adults where you say, yeah, you know, I am the kid that pooped my pants in first grade, and I'm, I'm the kid that disappointed you terribly when I shoplifted when I was 13. But I'm now a full-ass grown adult with my own kids or my own problems and my own mortgage, and I kind of mm-hmm. get where you're coming from and let's kind of be – but we don't have that. And the movie kind of works as a – almost why, like a why don't Why don't you have that in, in your opinion? Well, I, you know, I, I – I, I I think I was always maybe because I always you're so like vastly different than than them, yeah, like personality totally. wise. Yeah, totally, and, and also my own immaturity when I was around them. I mean, there are people uh, I think in everyone's lives, but for me, it was my parents. Where when you're around them, you're kind of the worst version of yourself. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I was around my parents, I'm suddenly the kid who's like the, you know, the, 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 the rebel. It's like, yeah, I'm going to wear mascara. Yeah. I'm going to go watch the cure, you know, I, I, but I was like that in, in, into my thirties, <laughs> you know, with them, I was sort of like, Oh damn it. You know, I don't want to see them anymore. They drive me nuts. And all of the old hurts are kind of unresolved and irresolvable in our relationship. Unless one of us or both of us were willing to put it down. And I was never really willing to put, put it down. Um, just cause it was, I was too, too much pain, I think, you know, uh, and, and, you know, here's a film I think that, that does offer that kind of bridge that does offer like sort of this, like, oh, okay. Now I understand my parents in a different way, in a way that they could never articulate to me. You know, they're not going to talk to me about the pain of leaving their home. They're not going to talk to me about the terror of the IRS. They're not going to talk yeah. to me about the burden of working 11 hours a day, 24, you know, 24 seven. They're not going to do that with me. I'm never going to be reintroduced to them as equals or, or as, as you know, any kind of pure adult, they're always going to be the uh, disapproving parents. And I'm always going to be the kid that disappoints. Yeah. If we can't have that moment and the film provides that moment. Um, going going back to one of the original points about like this being uh, a movie that everyone can read their own thing into. Right. For me, I was so convinced coming out. I was like, oh, this is clearly a movie about the expectations that immigrant parents put on their children. Uh, Many immigrant parents notoriously have extremely high standards for their kids. And the idea, the central plot point of this movie is that the Evelyn of Alphaverse put so many, pushed Joy, her, her child, so hard that Joy's mind became fractured and uh, was unable to deal with reality, and that and that she um, was able to perceive everything, everywhere, all at once. Was able to have like um, the full knowledge of every thing in the multiverse, and that ultimately this sent her into, I guess, a spiral of depression and nihilism, and like nothing matters, right? Those overloaded mind usually dies. That is a very common experience. I mean, without the multiverse part, but everything about that experience resonates with certainly a lot of people that I grew up with, where your parents have extremely high expectations for you. Um, So many expectations that you, uh, as the person who is the recipient of those expectations, feel like you are desperately trying to just comprehend all the universe of possibilities that might happen as a result and that this ends up making everything feel meaningless as a result um and so that that's what i saw as the central metaphor you know and we each took different things out of it you you took kind of an empathy for your parents and their their existence and for me it was um this idea of wow they made the expectations of immigrant parents into basically a sci-fi adventure story right uh and we're trying to like surmount this and the way out of it is of course love uh but that was kind of what i read as the central metaphor of the movie and lots of people have different readings of it which is what makes it so amazing the movie can also be read in a very compelling and important way as a metaphor for depression and especially teen depression um and you know this idea that she saw in a moment across the infinite possibility she's like dr strange right she saw yeah you know the intimate intimate infinite ways that her life 
is a mess and her mom doesn't know how to love her and how she feels alone and she feels like she's part of this grand drama. And I think when we're teenagers, especially, especially if we're depressed teenagers, we feel like we're part of this grand drama, this big drama Mm -hmm. um, in which, you know, these major sacrifices must be made. You must make a sacrifice. You must protect your friends from the evil that is you. You must, you know, save people. If people like you, they, they just don't know the real you. They don't know the depths of how disappointing you are. And um, it addresses that, you know, to your point, in a really wonderful sort of sci-fi concept. This, like, it's, it's this everything bagel of despair. It's a black hole that sucks you in and doesn't let anything go and doesn't let anything out and you know and, and the solution uh, what she's looking for across every iteration of herself and her mother is one version of her mother who reaches out to her in some way mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect just some way you know i i had a suicide attempt i tried to kill myself when i was 16 and you know my my, my dad came and he checked me out of the hospital and there was a uh, required a uh, three-day hold for me at, at, at a mental hospital, and that was the best three days of my life in high school uh, because people were nice and listened to me. Um, and 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 he came and, and he said, do you know what you're doing to your mother? We were never talking about this again. And, you know, I got home, and I was supposed to have aftercare. I was supposed to go, you know, get count- nothing. We never, never talked about it again. So I immediately began to plan to do it again. So what this movie does <laughs> in a really meaningful way, I think, is – portray this um, sense that you're not alone, that it does look bad. It does look rough out there. You know, it does feel bad when your parents are cut off from you emotionally, you think, because you, you can't see them as people that have flaws and they have blind spots just like you do. And, um, you know, it, it, it offers a way back. And it, it's through a better understanding of what your parents went through. And that's extraordinary. I don't think we have a lot of, you know, I'm using too many superlatives, I know, but I don't think we have a lot of art that does so many things that mm-hmm. begins to offer a way forward. And it's not like, you know, it's not a salve that you put on a burn. You know, there, there's there's stuff that you, you, you got to put the work in. But here's a here's a template that says, you know, look, uh, it doesn't matter what other people think. It, I'm just happy to be with you. I, I, you know, I would give up all of this if I could spend the rest of my life doing taxes and laundry with you. Uh, let's try to be kind, and it doesn't mean that I'm stupid or weak, you know, like this culture also wants to teach us. But kindness can actually be really powerful. You know, what if instead of just beating up all these people, I understood what it was that they wanted? I understood the the thing that's missing from them, and I had empathy for another person as a human being. You know, it's that term Sonder, I think, you know, where you have this moment of clarity where every other person is as complicated as you are. Wouldn't that make everything different if we could have that, you know, that level of Sonder all the time for people, especially people we feel injured by or don't understand or disappoint? Or, you know, and, and I think this movie offers a way out for us and it's not easy. It's maybe not even possible, but I'm, I, I'm a little tired of movies that either pretend there's not a problem or they offer up a sort of toxic positivity 
Or on the other hand, they offer up just sort of this all-consuming nihilism. They are the everything mm-hmm. bagel movie. And I used to like those movies a lot. And I still do because it kind of you know reinforces my worldview. But I realize how dangerous and this, how slippery that slope is for me sometimes to not have hope ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And you know, here's a well, movie that does that. I want to talk about some of the criticisms of the movie. But first, I want to praise some aspects of the movie – uh, from a pure craft perspective, you know, I, ju- I just want to make sure I, uh, I get this out there because I, I feel strongly about it. I do think every single performance in this film is extraordinary. Uh, you already know Michelle Yeoh is going to be awesome, but what you don't expect, uh, and you yeah, you know James Hong is going to be awesome because he's been in you know hundreds of movies, but what I was completely blown away by is Kyuhei Kwan in this movie after decades of not being in American movies. And it's actually really tragic because seeing him in this movie, you realize decades of Kiwi Kwan performances we were deprived of uh, because those roles didn't exist because uh, people weren't willing to open themselves to the idea that he could be in them. And the way he switches from alpha Waymond to the other ones, you know, like the regular one, uh, often within the same shot is just, there's a high degree of technical difficulty that what he's doing. And I don't know that it's appreciated enough, but I think he's, he's great in this movie. Similarly, Stephanie Hsu is also awesome. I mean, the, the styles in this movie that she has are great, but at no point did I doubt that this was somebody who had been overwhelmed by the possibilities of the multiverse and was thus, uh, heading towards complete despair and nihilism. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, my my avatar online is short round, so you know, my, I have a really <laughs> emotional connection to 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 Kikwan. and you know, Stephanie Shu, the way that she portrays like an American teenager. Yeah, man, I don't think we see that enough. You know, I, I, don't, mm. I don't, you know, there's no like, you know, I think there, there there's an Asian kid in Twilight, and he sort of is a practical joker, and he he like has a worm at one point, and he wriggles it. You know, so there's mm-hmm. no like weird, uh, you know, she's not objectified. She's not. She doesn't fall into these easy categories. It isn't just token representation. It's she's a real life human being, you know, with all sorts of stuff going on with her, and that's I'm just uh, uh, endlessly grateful for my daughter to have that for her. You know, well, she has just, many you know, awesome moments else. throughout the film, but the one the one that sticks with me is uh, one of her first introductions when she's introduced as Jobu Topaki, and the movie does this thing where she like cocks her head to the side and like transports through different universes, and it's incredible. Like in one of them, she's like a bus driver, and there's a car about to crash into you know. It's like wow, and your your brain, and I think this is very intentional. Like they've talked about how. They, the Daniels, as directors, want you to feel like you are barely keeping up with what is happening. And your brain is just like, oh, I, I just understood what the cocking of the head means. And now we're already on to the next scene. And, you know, um, But when she first transports into like the original universe that we're in in the movie, and then her friend Becky is there with her in the bar, and she's like, are you okay? And then she kind of gives Becky this look. And it's just really sinister and dark and upsetting. And you know, like, wow, this person is going to, be up to some shit that you don't want. Uh, yeah, she, she, I lo- she's I love that. extraordinary. That's my favorite moment yeah. in the film. Of, of many great moments, that's probably my favorite moment in the film. So she's extraordinary, and yeah. you know, I, 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 I love the way she she delivers the line about the ketchup. 
as well. You know, I was like, oh, don't worry. It's all natural or whatever she says. It's like, so, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's song, I guess. I, I love yeah. that. I don't think, you know, we see that kind of spunkiness and, and, you know, in, in, in that character often enough. So, yeah. I think she's remarkably well-written, but you know, something that you said is interesting to me about how there's so much information packed in every frame that you're not sort of, you know, uh, intended to, to grasp at all. I recently, Talk to Phil Tippett, the uh, special effects legend who has a new movie, Mad God, who uh, which they debuted last year in festivals and is coming out on Shutter soon. Um, and and he talked about the same thing about he wanted to pack every frame of this film with too much information, but it's in you anyway. And it might be hours later, or minutes, or days, mm-hmm. or weeks, and something will trigger a memory of something that you saw. In yeah. it. And he said, and he, and he said, and I asked him why. And he said, you know, that's the truest for him evocation of dream, of, mm-hmm. of a dreaming state where, you know, you'll have a dream and you won't maybe even remember any of it, but then something will trigger you. You'll be having, you know, a nice oatmeal the next day or something. Like, oh, Jesus, I dreamed of, you know, I was in a prison in the sky and my, you know, the dog was a hose. And, you know, so, so there's, the, there's all the stuff that's in you now that's been planted in you. And so the, you know, the film is, I think, dealing with that uh, dream space uh, as yeah, well yeah. In, in a fascinating way. Did you see GQ did an interview with Michelle Yeoh about her roles? It went a clip from it went viral recently on the internet. Oh yeah. The video thing where she, uh, she, she cried talking about it, right? Yeah. That she was waiting yeah. For a role like this. I did see that. I did. So there's, I just want to react to that uh, and say a few things about it. So, Michelle Yeoh did a thing with GQ where she ran down all the roles she's ever done or many of her major roles and talked about them. And then when she got to this film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, she talked about receiving the script and being very moved by it. Um, Because in the script, you know, she could be funny to be, she could be sad. She could be all these different things that she really hadn't had much opportunity to be before. And she felt seen by the script and the fact that the Daniels wanted to make this movie with her. It's very emotional to watch her talk about it. To be funny, to be real. Finally, somebody understood that I can do all these things. So many reactions. First of all, um, she is Michelle Yeoh. So you think, okay, this is one of the most badass people alive. But even someone like that still just ultimately wants to be seen and doesn't often feel seen, right? Second point is Michelle Yeoh has always struck me as like the most classiest of humans. See her in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. See her in Crazy Rich Asians. This is the one of the definitions of elegance. And she's in this movie with like massive dildos and butt plugs. <laughs> and I always thought, oh, well, she probably just kind of like tolerated the, uh, the, the dildos and butt plugs because it was like a way to... And, you know, I enjoy the that element of the Daniels movie, you know, they kind of celebrate all aspects of the human body. When you watch Swiss army, uh, Swiss army man, it's like, you know, humans fart and decay and uh, poop. And it's, you know, we should enjoy and celebrate that and talk about it. You know, like I, I appreciate all that. So I'm not like trying to sex shame or anything. I'm just saying like, I don't associate Michelle Yeoh as like super being into that kind of comedy. And I thought maybe she just was like okay with it or she tolerated it. But then when I watched this clip, it like completely changed the narrative for me of like maybe she actually welcomed, maybe she embraced and welcomed the opportunity to be ribald, to be, you know, 
jokey about this kind of stuff that is probably not going to be in any of our other films. And uh, anyway, it, it yeah, really the, stuck the, out to me because 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 she gets to do everything in this movie, you know, and I think she does it absolutely. really well. So. And, and and I I I think there's a meta commentary that's embedded in that interview and 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 your thoughts about it too. In that we put people in boxes, you know, we put our parents in boxes, we yeah. put ourselves in boxes, and our friends and our lovers and whatever. We 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 expect them to uh, inhabit a role that we've cast for them, that we've cast them in, and we presume that they're happy there, and that's us, <laughs> you know, that's. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a failing of ours as 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 as, as people to various degrees, um, and the 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 grace of the Daniels to look at Michelle Yeoh's body of work, like we all have, right? Oh man, she learned how to ride a motorcycle. She drove it right off a train. That was the day one. Um, <laughs> yeah. We look at Michelle Yeoh's body of work, and we have her. I always, like you, had her in a box, and I didn't realize it because it's a it's a good box everybody wants to be in that box but right we are in the we're in no internationally good box, we? known star well regarded you know like but right but we don't and they, they we, tackle yeah. that head on in the movie don't they yeah they tackle that yeah. head on international star right but her only friend is this weirdo who's teaching her pinky push-ups i mean that's there's there's <laughs> there's there's a sacrifice that's being made that mm-hmm. we're not appreciating and mm-hmm. in a movie that's about sacrifices that are not appreciated and about different personas that you're not appreciating you know this is about the 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 sort of like the 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 manifold you know panorama of who we are as people you know who are you with your wife who are you with your parents who are you with your coworkers? who are you on a weekend who are you when you're drunk who are you know all of these things are um considered in this movie and 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 the amount of empathy that engenders in these characters is remarkable it's like i i just you know, in a very literal sci-fi way, I've seen her with hot dog fingers, man, in a lesbian relationship. It's I've seen everything uh, that this character could possibly encompass in her, could be in her, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's an act of extraordinary generosity. I think that's what we're both responding to and what she was responding to, which is talking about it. It's like, how generous of you to understand that I think dildos are funny. How, how how generous of you mm. to look past the elegant ball gown and the Captain Giorgio and Star Trek or whatever and say, yeah, I'll put on hot dog fingers that squirt ketchup and mustard. <laughs> that, that 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 makes sense. Sure, I'll voice a rock. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know that, mm-hmm. that that's an act of extraordinary generosity yeah. to see yeah. people outside of the box that, that that we put them in, and you know maybe that's what the movie's about. <laughs> Is you know. He, even Deidre gets this really like interesting backstory. Everybody gets a moment, yeah. And all of yeah. the other timelines teach a lesson about giving moments to people. Yeah, saying okay, now I'm looking at my husband, especially, and he's not like a he's not a, he's not a simpering weakling. Uh, there's extraordinary strength in his ability to support us and and accept us for who we are. And that's remarkable. It's, re- it's yeah. remarkably generous. And, spe- speaking of that scene, love the fanny pack fight and. I don't know what it is about Asian dads and fanny packs, but like my dad wears a fanny pack, like he loves having his fanny pack. And they tried <laughs> to kind of reclaim the fanny pack as a badass weapon of battle, basically in this movie. And I think they did a great job. Yeah, um, it's just another element that has multiple uses, right? Just like all the people have multiple uses too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought all the action was, was, 
pretty great in this movie. There's there's not that much of it. There's not like 18 action scenes or anything like that. There's like a handful and they're all really well done. And I think they make really good use of Michelle Yeoh's skills. Um, but my favorite is, is the one where she first learns how to uh, be good at martial arts. Jamie Lee Curtis like leaps off of this railing and like starts up going straight into her and then time slows down to a hundred frame uh, or like a thousand frames a second. And then she experiences this whole life where she learns Kung Fu and then um, is able to like, defl- you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's knee is like half an inch away from her face. And she's able to like slow down time enough to stop it. It's, it's incredible. It's like, I, I felt like I was watching bullet time in the matrix. I mean, probably cause it was heavily inspired <laughs> by the matrix, but you know what I mean? Like for the right. first time I was watching like an extension of that concept. Um, it felt like pure well, cinema. It, it, it reclaims that from uh, the Western audience, right? It is as something that we did, <laughs> you know, it, it, and it reclaims, um, uh, you know, you know, you know, Tarantino with Kill Bill with the flashbacks to, how, you know, how she can get out of the grave by like just punching from an inch or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it reclaims all of those appropriations, and. I don't even mind those appropriations. I love those movies. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it does begin to reclaim some of those things and say, you know what? We were doing this in the 1950s. Do you know who's really good at this? Is Stephen Chow. I don't mm-hmm. know what you guys mm-hmm. think is action really outside of John Wick right now, but it's garbage because look at the raid. You know, so it re- kind of reclaims a lot of this stuff and says, Look, not only are we good at this, we can make fun of it. Not only are we good at this, we can do this in a funny way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. with like the, the the little like uh, keychain on the fanny pack or whatever hooking onto the right. nose. It's like right. that's that's the level of inventiveness and thought throughness, I guess. If that's that's not a word, but you know, that that's the level of inventiveness that I I adore about sort of kitchen sink movies where you you, you don't have you know the beck and call of massive processing frames. What you do have is a sense of fun and play. And you say that this is what we have. We have three elements. How do we make this amazing? And that that's the basis of Jackie Chan stuff. It's like, okay, we're in this environment. What do we got? We got a ladder, we got a traffic cone and uh-huh. we got this belt. So let's make a 30 minute kick-ass 500 extra fight fight scene based on those three elements. Go. Or just even like different levels, you know, to your point of, of space. Like, okay, here's someone here, here's someone here, or even at the end, they're just like walking up a, a short staircase, you know, a, a sense of space and scale. And, you know, with very little, really, this movie does so much. I want to ask you about some of the critiques of this movie. I'm curious if you've read some of them. Richard Brody over at The New Yorker uh, called Everything Everywhere All at Once a vapor puff of corporatized fantasy. Many of the reviews, I think, can be summed up in that the messages of the movie are relatively simplistic, right? That's kind of that's kind of what the bulk of the criticism I think boils down to is hey, life sucks. Grab the fleeting moments of kindness and goodness and love that are in between all the suckiness. Um and that that's ultimately like a very saccharine, sent overly sentimental viewpoint. Uh We've spent the last hour talking about why we think this movie has a lot to say and has a lot to communicate. I am curious uh, what your reaction has been, if any, to some of the critiques of the film. Well, I mean, I think that obviously people are entitled to have a negative reaction or no reaction to the film. That's, you know, I can't 
make them feel something that they don't. I think where it intersects with me uh, personally, where, where I feel irritated or offended is when it's couched in terms of like exhaustion or, or frust- like not frustration necessarily, but like exasperation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, this, come on. And, you know, for me, it's like that, that that's a level of dismissal that is, uh, I think deeply disrespectful to the uh, um, actual discourse, if you will. I, like, you know, like Top Gun Maverick, let's say. You know, I, I'm very irritated when people are like, well, I hated the first one. What, what makes me think I'm going to like this one? I'm like, oh, listen. Listen to what people are saying about this. Listen to what old timers are saying about how it makes them feel about, you know, what how goals change as you get older. Listen. People are actually talking about themselves and talking about how things have changed. And, you know, what? I, I really admire and respect Richard Brody. He has seen more movies than I'll probably get to. You know, I mean, he is one one of the old guard. He, uh, uh, there's been pieces that he's written in the past that have really spoken to me. Um, and his favorite movie last year was Licorice Pizza. And so the things that you love and the things that you hate say a lot more about you than it says about the thing. Um, if If you're not able to find anything to connect to and everything everywhere, I'd say that's probably you. If you're not able to connect to something that's like, I don't know, some terrible movie, I can't even think of one right now, but if you're not able to connect to something that's probably pretty shallow and doesn't really have that much to say, all right. I mean, maybe there's not a lot there. If somebody Well, I think looks people at, are arguing you know, that this is that this is the shallow movie. You know, you and I don't agree with right. that. But Right. But, but you know, they wouldn't say that about, you know, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life. But what's that about? <laughs> mhm. Mhm. I mean, but, honestly, but, what is what is what is that about? It's about, you know, sticking to your guns. <laughs> it's about <laughs> believing what you believe. I mean, right, that, I, right. that's very simple, you know. I mean, what what are any of mm-hmm. the great movies about? Yeah, what's The Godfather about? Is it is it really complicated, or is it in fact very simple? Yeah, you know, yeah. if if you're going to reduce everything into, hey, all this movie is about is being nice to other people and except, you know, carpe diem seizing the day. I'll bet you. You know, nine out of ten of those people that are criticizing this movie for having that message love Dead Poet Society. You know, there, there's uh, uh, it's it, it, yeah. it's you know, people will find a reason why they don't respond to something, and they'll they'll you know they'll backwards engineer it. That's what I do when I like something or dislike something. You you were always in the process of backwards engineering our reactions to things. Well, why did I feel that way? Why did I cry? Why did this remind me of my mom? Why you know we're always backwards engineering. If we're doing a good job, if we're not doing a good job, we're saying, well, I cried because it just was manipulative, or uh, you know, the, the, I, I have a peer who walked out a peer from a while ago who walked out in the middle of the assassination of Jesse James. And it was like 10 minutes into it, a press screening. There's like five of us in there. He stands up. He says, what is this bullshit? And he walked out. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually you. <laughs> that's not really, that's something that you need to be examining. Um, or, 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 you know, when I was watching Synecdoche, New York for the first time with all of my peers who are these, much older at that time than me and, you know, contemplating their first cancer or their first whatever. And they're watching Synecdoche, New York. And he's like, you know, when Caden is like going through his poop to see if he's bleeding, they were visibly upset, visibly Mm -hmm. uncomfortable looking around. Most of them slammed it in in, in the local paper and stuff. And it's like, okay, so 
rather than examining why this movie made you very unhappy, you know, uh, as like that's pretty true of aging and dying, and it's, it's like you better hold on because time flies. That's what Seneca Kenny York is about. Tempest Fugit, time flies. Pretty mm-hmm. simplistic, but it, it isn't the what. I think it's the how it goes about it, right? Sure. I mean, I think everything sure. everywhere. Yeah, it's about being kind to one another. It's about accepting other people with complicated things. It's about those things. How does it go about it? <laughs> well, how much time you got? Because it goes about it in ways that everybody, you know, all, all this grand uh, uh, collection of people, of different people, um, are attaching to. So you can look at all of that reaction to it, and you can take this position of like, no, actually, you guys, it means nothing. It means nothing. It doesn't mean that to you. It doesn't mean that to anybody. It means nothing. You can do that, but you're a dick. Um, and more than that, you are not self-examined enough or actualized enough in your own life to understand why it is a story about a Chinese family means nothing to you. And so there, that, that's the issue. And it's like when I look at Black Panther, when I, even when I was writing about Black Panther, I was like, this is a fine movie that has extraordinary cultural import for a culture that I don't know and don't understand. But I see this outpouring of emotion from the black community watching Black Panther feeling exalted and raised up by it. And who am I to say, actually, you guys, this doesn't mean anything. This Mm -hmm. didn't do that for you because it didn't do it for me. Without, you know, if I felt like that, if I, if I did feel like that, I would have to really strongly examine why it is that I don't uh, I don't think black people have those emotions, or why it is I don't think women have those emotions, or why it is you know I have that falls on you now to have a process of like why does licorice pizza the story about you know a Hyam sister you know grooming a young man you know whatever in nineteen seventies America why is that my favorite movie. Over this movie, which is about an Asian family deciding that they they will accept each other and love each other at the end of it. What is it that's more complex about Licorice Pizza than everything everywhere? Um, I would say that's a you problem. And, mm. and, and if I'm willing to listen if you're willing to go through it with me. I just want to say in closing that I've been so happy at how well this movie has done. Uh, at the box office. It is now the highest grossing domestic A24 film of all time. Uh, it The drops that it was from week to week, you know, usually a movie drops 40, 60%. This movie is dropping 3%, uh, 15%. Sometimes it was even gaining from week to week. It's been incredible to see. There's clearly something about this movie that's resonated with so many people. And Walter, I've been really grateful to talk about it with you. Uh, Walter Cha is a film critic at Film Freak Central. I'll put links to his review of Everything Everywhere All at Once, as well as his Twitter account down below in the description and in the the podcast show notes. Uh, But Walter, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, whenever you uh, pick up the phone, I answer it, Dave. So I'm really glad glad to be here. Thanks for asking me.